0: guys what is going on i believe i've finally gotten my microphone set up perfect so my hope and to uh One Miss Alyssa Spittles point, uh, my voice sounds soft and soothing. And, um, you know, she said it put her to sleep. So hopefully the content is interesting enough to not put you guys to sleep. Uh, But I am glad that my uh, voice is sounding good. And, you know, after, oh man, I think we're coming up on two years of doing the podcast. I can't, I don't think that can be right. Who knows? Uh, But time does fly when you're having fun. And I've really enjoyed this. And so, uh, it's been kind of one big process and pretty much every time up until maybe my last one or two podcasts, I've been changing a couple things and there was still just one little thing that was irking me. And I'm not going to tell you guys what it is because it would be probably one of those things if you haven't listened to the previous podcast that you would just listen to the whole time. And so here we are. It should sound perfect from here on out. Even when we're doing interviews, I've got just about everything figured out. And what a great tool in my toolkit. You know, I've had a few interactions recently where, you know, we think about the skills that we build. And this is a lot of how I look at just skill development is I'm adding tools to my toolkit. And I think it's fun to kind of think about this as you guys think about your health and wellness and your health and fitness is once you learn how to like squat clean, that is a tool in your toolkit that you can use from now till the time like you're 80 to get fit. Right. If you walked into the gym and you put on 135 pounds, I could create 25 workouts just using the squat clean where you could get an amazing workout to do whatever you wanted to do. Do you want to get stronger? Do you want to get faster? Do I get more powerful? Do you want to build endurance? Like, whatever it is, you can build it just by learning that one movement. And then when you start to add more tools to your toolkit, right, it's just like working on a house. It's like first you maybe start with something simple, like learning how to paint, learning how to, you know, screw in, uh, or I'm trying to think what Maria did, learning how to change a light fixture, right? Learning how to do some drywall work, Then maybe you advance to some, you know, maybe more advanced electrical. Maybe you put in a light switch. Maybe you put in a new plug. Then you go a little bit more advanced. And maybe now you're running new wires from your box. Maybe now you're working on some plumbing. Then you fix your, you know, you put in a new faucet in your kitchen. Now you know how to do that. Then you reroute the plumbing. You put on some shark bites. You do some new things uh, for maybe your toilet. You put a new toilet in. And then maybe you redo your shower. Now you just are adding toolkits, 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 and all of a sudden start to look back and, you know, just, we just demoed uh, a bunch of, you know, Lewis center and man, I'll tell you what, if you ever want to learn a lot about buildings, just demolish things. Uh, Cause number one, it's awesome. It's super fun. Uh, just bashing stuff with a sledgehammer, taking like a, uh, you know, uh, um, metal cutter or grinder, metal grinder, and just, just chopping through things. And you're like, Oh, huh. Look at that. That's how that works. And you learn a lot about it. Right. And so you start to see how everything's actually a little bit simpler than you think it might be. And you just add more tools to your toolkit. And now pretty much outside of like digging up concrete and doing advanced plumbing work, which I just don't even want to do. I feel pretty comfortable doing most everything, you know, drywall, Shiplap, plumbing, basic plumbing, right? Electrical, some of those things, and that's pretty exciting, right? You feel empowered by that, and it should be the same thing with your health and fitness and exercise. And you know, when we start to think about that. It's like, okay, maybe you first came in, maybe knew how to do a push up or a burpee, and you knew how to run, right? But if you were really new, you probably didn't know how to like really push yourself from a cardio perspective, right? CrossFit's probably put you into a couple different spots. Like maybe the first time you pushed a sled or the first time you got on an down you were like, Holy crap. Like what the hell was that? Like I have never felt like that when I was exercising ever, right? Like you don't get that no matter if you played football or soccer, maybe if you wrestled or did martial arts or something, maybe. But like, you know, so for some people that's like, "Hey, that's just a huge shock to the system." You're like, "What the hell did I just do?" So, cardiovascularly, you just added something to your toolkit. You're like, "Wow, I can get my heart rate and I can push myself harder than I ever thought I could." That's pretty cool. But then you start to add in the skills. It's like, "Okay, so maybe we start and it's like we learn how to deadlift, and we learn how to front squat, and we learn how to strict press And then we, you know, learn how to maybe kip or do a plank and a handstand and maybe hang from the pull-up bar properly and maybe do a proper pull-up or a proper bar row. And we start to add these tools, add these tools, add these tools. And the more tools you add, the more possibility you have in the future to be, you know, stranded. Maybe you decide your family is just like, you know what? I've saved enough. I'm out. I'm cashing everything in and I'm buying a condo in on the beach in Seguantaneo, Mexico, and I'll be down there and it's just secluded. And I'm like, it's me and my family and we're by ourselves. We go into, we go into town once a week to get some groceries and that's it. Right. But with your toolkit, like you can bring just a couple things. You can bring like, you know, five or six dumbbells, a jump rope, Couple medicine balls, and you'll be good. Health and fitness wise, you will be good for the rest of your life because you've taken the time to add to that toolkit. That's freaking awesome. And so, uh, you know, podcasting is just one of the things that I've added to my toolkit of business ownership. And um, I am glad that you guys have enjoyed this. If you're listening to this, my hope is that you have enjoyed it. And uh, this one that I'm going to do today has almost nothing to do with uh, what we just talked about. However, it can be tools and some utensils that you can add to your toolkit in the future. And for some of you guys, this is going to pertain to you right now. You are going to be struggling with sleep right now. That's what we're going to talk about today, guys. Sleep. Sleep is one of those things that I think we've brushed on in the past, but I wanted to create a definitive episode that we could send out to people when they come to us and are like, you know, Hey, I haven't been sleeping great. Uh, what do you, what do you think? Right. Or, you know, I really struggle with sleep. I only get like three or four hours a night. What do you, what do you think? Okay. And, sleep is something that I have, uh, studied extensively. It fits right into the realm of health and fitness. And honestly, uh, there's a great uh, tweet yesterday that said, you know, when I was a young coach, it used to be, you know, all this, like, you know, Hey, we're going to do five by five back squats at 80%. Or for those of you guys who went to friendship, we're going to do EMOM back squats for 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, we're going to do this, that, and the other, we're going to push sleds. We're going to do this. We're going to do that and all this stuff. And now I realize so much more of coaching is like, how did you sleep last night? How have you eaten and drank over the last 48 hours? Like that's so much more important for us than, you know, coming in and like pre-programming stuff, I think is what that tweet is saying basically is if you're unprepared to train, if you're unprepared the other 23 hours out of the day, when you're not in the gym, then your time in the gym is not going to be as effective and worthwhile. And so we need to be focusing on those other things. And I think what that coach was saying is when he was younger, he focused, and this is super true for me, focused way more on you know the exercise portion of this rather than the lifestyle portion of this. And the longer I do it, the more you start to realize that there are people that can come in five, six days a week and just absolutely push it and do everything right in the gym and make almost no progress because their lifestyle and the stuff they're doing outside of the gym is, is just not good. And they haven't made any change or development in their habits. If anything, maybe sometimes they've gotten worse. And so they maybe even regress a little bit in the gym. And I always say that gym performance is is sort of an indicative or it's like a test for how your lifestyle is. So when we were super competitive and we, you know, Marie and I, like we didn't drink, we stayed home, we ate super healthy. We were very disciplined. We slept full every night. We got massages. We went to chiropractors. We were just really dialed in every stretch of the imagination. We were super fit and super healthy and really disciplined. Um, And so when you go into the gym, then you're able to, you know, excel, perform, develop, improve and so on. Uh, But it's funny, you know, because I think at the time, if you would have asked me, it would have been I'm working so hard in the gym and that's why I'm getting better. And now I would tell you it was, I'm working so hard at home. I'm working so hard the other 20 hours out of the day because I was training like three to four hours a day. I'm working so hard the other 20 hours out of the day that I'm able to go in and perform. And so sleep is one of those things for me that, uh, Is also a little bit indicative of how the rest of your lifestyle is going. So we're going to break this down. This is going to sort of be an all-encompassing episode for everything that I can possibly think of as it pertains to sleep and sleep management. And my hope is that even if you guys are sleeping well, you can take a peek at one of these things that you're not doing well and make some improvements and uh, even develop better sleep time habits and routines. So what we're going to think about first, guys, is, you know, how much should we be sleeping? And this is a very, very common question from people, um, you know, and this is hotly debated. And again, um, (laughs) I think people look for this like optimal answer. And the answer is always going to be it depends, right? It is person to person. It is situational. What I tell people really is you should be aiming for a number that allows you to go through full sleep cycles, right? And in reality, the way that I look at this is you sort of have this three to four hour chunk at the very beginning of your sleep. And let's just, let's not go super sciencey. Let's just say that that's deep sleep. Right. And our goal there is supposed to be, we are like knocked out. This is super restorative. Then from there, we sort of go in these like one to one and a half hour cycles of sleep and those kind of go up and down in terms of, you know, how quote unquote knocked out you are uh, during those sleep patterns. And, you know, then you come out into more of like a light sleep. And if you guys like go to the restroom in the middle of the night, that's usually going to be when you're coming out of one of those uh one to one and a half hour chunks. And so we go through these sort of sleep cycles. And so I always look at it as you have this base of three to four hours. That is like an absolute bare minimum to stay alive, right? Then every sleep cycle that we get beyond that up to a certain limit is going to be beneficial to us, right? And it's diminishing returns. So we want to maximize returns and not waste time. Okay. So if we think about this, right, getting five or six sleep cycles compared to three or four sleep cycles. So let's say, let's say you're me and I've studied this on myself quite a bit. And so if you figure I have a four hour chunk of deep sleep, right? And then let's say three sleep cycles of 90 minutes a piece. That's four and a half hours plus four hours. I need eight and a half hours of sleep every night. Okay. Now for me, if I take an additional sleep cycle, So I go from three sleep cycles to four sleep cycles, right? I've now slept for 10 hours, okay? My additional recovery might only be like 3% more, 5% more, right? It's negligible to me for that extra hour and a half of things that I could go and be doing otherwise, right? So let's take this as an example, okay? Is it better for me to get that fourth sleep cycle, that extra hour and a half so I get 10 hours of sleep or wake up after that third sleep cycle, after eight and a half hours of sleep and wake up and make a healthy breakfast, maybe get a little bit of light exercise or a walk in, read a book and have a little bit of personal development. For me, the 3% that I would gain in that hour and a half is not worth all of those things that I could do with that same hour and a half. So that's kind of how I look at it. Is again, it's a diminishing returns. It's the same thing from ten hours to eleven and a half hours is gonna maybe be one percent, right? And, and this is a, a you know curve that kind of edges off uh, as all diminishing return curves do. And so we want to hit that sweet spot, right? And so the jump for me from eight and a half hours to seven hours, right? Let's say so from three sleep cycles to two sleep cycles or from seven hours to five and a half hours, right? From two sleep cycles to one sleep cycle. uh, Those are noticeable, right? If I get five and a half hours of sleep, I get one sleep cycle. I might be let's say 15% recovered. If we're talking about 100% is maximized recovery, like you can't really achieve 100% recovery. If I get one sleep cycle, I may be 15%. If I get two sleep cycles, I may be 45 or 50%. If I get three sleep cycles, I may be 75 or 80%. And if I get four sleep cycles, I may be 81% or 82%. And if I get five sleep cycles, I'm maybe 83% or 84%. So you guys hopefully can see how getting that additional sleep starts to lose its value. And I think most people don't struggle with getting too much sleep. However, if we are severely in like a detriment, so let's say You haven't slept well for three or four nights. You've been out camping and you're walking like 30 miles a day, burning massive amounts of calories. Maybe you're even at a caloric deficit and you finish the hike and you get back to a comfortable bed. You have a nice big meal. You restore your calories. You go to sleep. Then maybe you do need that 10 hours. Maybe you do need that 11 hours of sleep to finish out those sleep cycles and get to that 80, 85, 90% recovery uh, because you're going to need every sleep cycle to get there. So hopefully that sort of sets the tone as to how long should I sleep for? And you can study this, right? There are wearables now there's whoop. There's a, there's a bunch of them. There's apps on your phone that you can put under your pillow on your bed. And that's how I studied it is basically you, you run your phone over the night, you slide it basically like right beside where your head is. It listens to you, which is sort of creepy, but it listens to like your, uh, your movement listens to like your snoring, your breathing patterns. Uh, it notices your rest listeners and so on. And basically you get this bar graph of, um, these were the times where you were in deep sleep. These are the times where you're in light sleep and you can look at basically your sleep cycles and the timing of those. So I did that for about probably three months or so. And you start to notice some patterns and, uh, that's sort of how I figured that out. And so I invite you guys to definitely take that on and do the same because everybody is different, right? There are some people who that deep sleep cycle might only be three hours. And there are some people whose uh, you know, sleep cycles as they continue might be more like one hour, right? And so if you're one of those people, you might be able to get through three full sleep cycles and only sleep six hours, right? And so you can achieve the same amount of recovery that it takes me eight and a half hours to get in six hours. And so it is personal and that's important to understand, right? It's a lot like nutrition in that way where, you know, I can sit there and talk about if you ask the question, well, how many calories a day should I eat? Well, you're like, well, that's, I mean, it really depends. It depends on a ton of factors. Like, uh, you know, a 100 pound girl with 40 pounds of lean muscle versus me at 220 and 120 pounds of lean muscle versus Joe Thomas at his prime at 330 pounds and 160 pounds of muscle. that That's a loaded question, right? Very different for each one of us. Okay. And sleep is the same way. So I think that that is important to understand that there is some studying that needs to be done uh, for you to understand what the answer to that question of how much should I sleep is. Okay. So that's sort of that. That's sort of the general overview because that's the one big question with sleep. Okay. Now, secondly, from there, as we start to look down, we start to look at factors that affect sleep. And I think one of the biggest ones that affects us as a community that is involved with high intensity fitness is overtraining. And not sleeping is one of the first signs and one of the biggest signs of us overtraining. And if you can run yourself through this scenario, it's kind of double-edged because now we're overtraining, which means that we need more recovery, right? Another way of saying overtraining is we're under-recovered, okay? So now we need more recovery. And the most important step in recovery is sleep. And so the thing, the one thing that you need, you can't do because you're overtraining. And so there's a bunch of different factors in this. And when you start to break down sort of the primal aspects of why this happens. Uh, there's a bunch of different thoughts and philosophies. Uh, The one that I think probably makes the most sense is if you're constantly putting your body and your mind in a fight or flight mode, so we're exercising with too much intensity all day long, your body and your mind probably start to think that we are in grave danger and we need to be alert more often. So you have a harder time Like slowing down, shutting your brain down, and going into like comfort sleep recovery mode because you're spending too long with your adrenals kind of screwed up and it messes up your chemical balance. And that's probably the one that always made the most sense to me, is I always kind of look at that as our primal animalistic selves. How would that, how would that, you know, take shape? So the big thing to take in mind with that and what is really important to understand with this is overtraining and under recovering is very, very real in our scenario. And I'm going to talk directly to friendship people here, but also to anybody who listens to this, who engages in some sort of an ongoing fitness program. Okay. We used to program a lot of deload days throughout the week. And in the reason that we would do that is we would run things in cycles, right? And we would try to maximize cycles for development and improvement. Now, the problem there is twofold. One, for a deload week to have value, somebody has to hit the entire cycle with intensity, conviction, and consistency to actually need the deload week, okay? That in a large group, general physical preparedness setting, like, you know, Friendship's main CrossFit class, that doesn't happen across the community, right? Somebody might take two weeks vacation in the middle of that cycle and that might be their deload week because they didn't exercise at all while they were on vacation. And then they come back for the last two weeks and then go on to a deload week that's unnecessary for them. So we've sort of started to go away from in installing like mandatory deload weeks. But what becomes important with that is that athletes need to do a good job of listening to their body and understanding that you need to be taking some sort of a degree of back off weeks or lower intensity weeks as you're going through training, right? And the best way that I always put this is it kind of goes by age by decade, right? If you're 20 years old, you need a deload week, maybe every six months, maybe five months, right? If you're young and you recover really well, you're not necessarily going to need the deload week quite as often. And then every decade that goes, I think you cut off about a week and a half, right? So if you go into your thirties, you maybe need a deload week. Every 12 weeks, you go into your forties, you maybe need a deload week. Every 10 weeks, maybe even eight weeks, you go into your fifties, you need a deload week. Every seven to eight weeks, six weeks, maybe, right? If you go into your sixties, maybe need a deload week every month right? And maybe a week is three to five training sessions. Okay. So that's sort of how that works. And the reason that we're doing that is when we say deload, what we mean is we're still exercising, We're still coming in the doors. We're still participating in CrossFit class or thrive or gymnastics or build. But what we're doing is we're taking the load and the intensity on the body down. So we're taking the stressors that we need love and enjoy for development. We're taking those stressors almost away. We're taking them down. And instead we're focusing on just getting blood flow and movement. Okay. That's what a deload week sort of uh, the purpose of a deload week is. It allows everything in your body to sort of catch back up to speed. And then that'll allow you to hit workouts with a really high degree of intensity again in the future. And, as we sort of start to approach these deload weeks right the uh, the other goal the alternative goal during that is also to think about you know how we're reducing inflammation through our diet how we're trying to think about you know not eating a lot of sugar we're trying to sleep a lot during that time hydration's key we're just sort of using it as what people would call a quote unquote cleanse okay All of our chemical systems get sort of rebalanced, refocused, and we are then able to, in the next cycle, in the next four, six, eight, 12 weeks, put in maximum effort and stress the body as much as we possibly can. That's how improvement and development takes place. That's how adaptation takes place in health and fitness. And so if we are in that overtraining zone or we feel like our sleep patterns are as dialed in as they can be, the stuff that I talk about from here on out for the rest of the episode is super dialed in and there's just no other piece of the puzzle that it could be, then overtraining might be something and maybe just a simple deload week, three to four days of riding the bike, of taking class at 50% doing all of the scales for class for a whole week and just taking down the pressure and the noise inside of that class setting, maybe that'll just fix it for you. Right. And then focus in on making sure the rest of the stuff that we talk about from here on out is dialed in. So that's a big one for me is is overtraining and uh, the deload process inside of a large group fitness training facility is something that is very challenging. It's something that you know I personally have tried to navigate for our community uh, across a lot of different ways. Uh, we've tried probably fifteen different things over the years, and honestly it only ends up being successful for some and totally unsuccessful. And honestly, to the point where people are like, this is so stupid. Why are we doing this? Uh, for, for many. And so at the end of the day, the best thing that I can do is educate you, about you, educate you about listening to your own body, about being smart for you and making the right decisions for yourself, or encourage you again, to kind of think about, I need to talk to a coach about this, right? I need to talk to a coach about overtraining. I need to talk to a coach because I'm not sleeping well. I'm not improving. I'm plateauing all these different things. I need to talk to a coach and figure out maybe, you know, get the puzzle pieces put in the right place so I can see them better. So I sort of understand what's going on. (laughs) And that's, that's sort of where I'm at with this is the best gift that I can give you is to teach you how to deload yourself. Because even if we programmed deload weeks at Friendship and those you guys who have been with us for a while, you have done a deload week at Friendship and I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that you took one of those deload workouts and you went so hard at it that it ended up not feeling like a deload week at all. In every deload week we ever did, you always heard people say, "Boy, that doesn't feel like a deload. It's like, well, it's because you didn't operate in that workout as a deload. Deload is inherently easy, easier by nature. So when we have a simpler or easier workout, what's something that you know as an experienced athlete you can do? well, I can go harder and I can go faster and I can just like, I can beat everybody and I can do all this. Like, ah, not the point, right? If I make a deload workout and let's say it's, you know, 20 minute AMRAP and it's, you know, 15 box jumps, five Turkish get ups, 15 wall balls, and 15 toes to bar. Okay. Now that might not sound like a deload workout, but it absolutely can be a perfectly designed deload workout. We're moving every joint in every range of motion that we can. We're exercising every muscle group that we possibly can. We're going through a bunch of different ranges of motion to ensure that those are stretched out and mobilized and we're activating the right musculature, all those things. The only thing that makes that not a deload workout is when you go out and you try to beat the people to the left and right of you and you're more focused on going so hard and so fast and crushing yourself and running yourself into a wall that you don't actually achieve the stimulus. And so coaches were just constantly harping on people like, look, your whole goal here is to be conversational the whole time. You should be able to talk to the person to left or right of you during this entire workout. You should not be going so hard on this workout. Like you shouldn't finish more than maybe four or five rounds of this workout in 20 minutes it should be super, super easy. You should feel that like you are at a totally controlled, moderate pace the whole time. And then people just like, don't listen to the coaches and just like yeah, 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 whatever. I know what I'm doing. I, I've been doing CrossFit for seven years. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, do you? Uh, because then as soon as three, two, one, go hits, those people take off like a bat out of hell, get nothing out of the workout, continue to force their adrenals down, a you know, the shit can and don't improve and end up hurt or injured. And all of that, just because they were, you know, had too much ego to take a step back for a day or two, listen to the coach and actually implement the program the way it was designed. So the best thing that we need to do is remove the ego, understand what's going on in our body, understand what we can do as a part of development improvement. Okay. So I think I've harped on overtraining and sleep enough there. Moving on to our next pieces is how we are actually going to tangibly affect sleep habits. So, number one thing that I can recommend for this is we need a clear mind. And here's the voice for Alyssa clear your mind. You're in a forest with trees, it's calming. I need to, I need to insert some, uh, some uh, whatever those are called sound effects. Uh, but what I want you guys to think about is we need to operate with a low stress, clear mind and the stressors in our lives that come in and we don't have figured out, right? We haven't come to a solution on yet and it's stressing us and it sits there and it lingers and we worry about it. Those are the things that are going to affect sleep. And again, if we take it back to kind of thinking again about that primal self, we are stressing and our body is not recognizing stresses that are, you know, first world, you know, American in Dublin with a great job and a beautiful house over their head and all these things. We are not recognizing the difference that we have and like our primal ancestors with like you know, 20 saber saber-toothed tigers, uh, you know, surrounding their den while they sleep. We're not separating those two stressors. So like the fact that somebody didn't text us back and like that's, that's, they're being equated chemically the same way in our body. So we need to understand how to de-stress ourselves. And again, this is one of those things that, uh, you can totally teach yourself how to do you can take processes. There's a lot of great literature, a lot of great reading, a lot of great steps. I'm going to try to break through most of that for you guys here so that you can kind of understand this stuff. But, uh, you know, this is going to get back into that. You know, the word meditation, I feel like, is such a turn off to people. And so I wish that I could figure out a way to articulate that better. And it's the same thing with therapy, right? And Jocko just did a podcast on Tim Ferriss. He talked about CrossFit also, which is kind of cool. But he talked about how he thinks of therapists as mind mechanics, right? He thinks the term therapist or he thinks therapy or psychiatrist or, you know, meditation, these words, these terms, I think people, have and and associate with a negative connotation, but let's break down what we're trying to do. All we're trying to do is help our brain come to solutions on things that are stressing it that I think 90 to 99% of the time really shouldn't be something that is stressing you. Every now and again, you'll have a real decision to make that you're going to try to sleep on. And when we say sleep on, really what we're trying to do is give our brain some time to kind of think about it and figure it out, right? Which is exactly what we do during meditation is we're trying to let our brain sort through all of the noise and crap that it's got going on every day. That is honestly, it's fatiguing it it's tiring out your brain. And when we have those things, they're running in the background of our day-to-day. We go to the grocery store, we pick our kids up, we go to the gym, we do these things. Those things are still there trying to get figured out, right? They're not going away until you just sit in quiet stillness, not scrolling on your phone, not watching Netflix, not listening to a podcast, not at the gym, not talking to your kids, not talking to your wife, not at work, not at those times. Your brain is not figuring out the solution to its problems during any of those times. The only time that you are going to understand, develop understanding is in silence and in stillness. Driving in quiet, sitting in your bed, laying during the middle of the day with the only intention of just shutting your eyes and letting your brain just sort through its crap because we all have crap and it all needs sorted through daily or at least multiple times a week. And if you've gone 35 or 40 years and you've never just sat and become still and allowed your brain to sort through these things, then you've got a lot of crap to sort out. Okay. Number one. And number two, you're operating on this, like this reactive nature, right? You're, you're constantly reacting rather than being able to think proactively, think about the future, think about your decisions, think strategically. And what I find is a lot of people who don't do this, with diligence and intention. They like things, and pay attention here, see if this is you, they like things that are monotonous, like cleaning, like mowing the lawn, like raking leaves, like painting. They like those monotonous things. Why? Because during those tasks, your brain is actually able to stop and focus on itself. When you're painting, you're not really thinking about what you're doing for the most part, right? You're sort of there. You're sort of not there. Your brain is going to be using that monotonous structure. It's meditative in nature, right? Go back to your karate kid, right? Wax on, wax off, right? We're doing this, okay? It's meditative in nature, It's teaching you to kind of still your brain. And so if you're not doing this with intention, then your brain's going to start to find times to do it. And there's obviously good times and bad times to do it. Or it's not going to, and you're going to live this life that is stressed And that life of stress and anxiety turns itself into depression and negativity. So we have to, we have to let our brain have time to sort its shit out. I cannot stress that enough. I honestly think that between this and sleep, they are number one and number two, right there with nutrition. Like these things are so important. And, we love to emphasize exercise and I get it. I do. Right. It's like, it's fun. It feels good immediately. We like things that feel good immediately. Like we like warm chocolate chip cookies sitting by the fire. We like that stuff. And sometimes sitting in silence is not that sexy immediately. We might not feel the benefits right away, but I think everybody in their life has had a moment where they set their head down on their pillow And they just have the best night's sleep ever. And I can honestly tell you that you probably have never had the best night's sleep ever when your mind is racing because all of the shit that it has to sort out, all of the stressors that it has, it doesn't work that way. Right? You sleep really well sometimes after like moments of big accomplishment when things that have been stressing you are now settled. And there is no more for you to think about. That's when we have a great night's sleep. And so I think this is one of the biggest things that, again, it's not tangible, right? I can't Well, there are people who say that they can definitively tell you if you're overtraining through blood levels and chemical levels through, you know, things like whoop and um, heart rate variability and sleep uh, patterns and things like that. There are some scientific ways that people are trying to come out now and say that they can tell you tangibly that you are overtraining. But one thing that they can certainly not tell you is if you are tangibly overtraining overstressed and overthinking things, or you know, if you have you have these cobwebs in your brain because you're not sitting down and letting things sort themselves out. This is gonna sound super weird and this is totally my own hypothesis. There's absolutely no scientific backing to what I'm about to say. But I honestly think that some of our later brain diseases, things like Alzheimer's and dementia and Some of these deteriorative brain diseases, I do think that if we were able to measure this, I think that carrying a lot of stress and anxiety, I think that it has 100% has an effect on this stuff. I, like, I, I don't see how it could not. And somebody might say, well, you know, yeah, it's, you know, elevated cortisol levels and all this stuff. And that, you know, that adds to it and, you know, sugar does that. And so it's the elevated cortisol levels from sugar that add to Alzheimer's. Certainly, right. That absolutely could be the case. But I think if we are not doing our job in terms of taking care of our mind and helping to understand the things that need to be stressful, the things that not need to be stressful and the things that are, kind of coming into our lives right now as first world problems that are out of our control that we don't need to worry about and letting our brain get there. Right. I think if we did a better job with that, I think everybody would sleep better. And I think that people would really do themselves a huge service in terms of being more present and aware with the people they love in their life and so on. Right. I also think you'd see massive benefits inside of the gym also. But we see people and they just stress about stuff that they don't need to stress about. So I think this is probably number two for me. I think overtraining is a huge one. I think that uh, overstressing is probably right there, if not honestly, probably more important. So I think right there, if you were to take those two things and you were to institute some of these things that I talked about, right? So overtraining, right? Let's take a deload week. Let's talk to a coach. Let's establish a plan for how often we take deload weeks. Let's book those out on our calendar right now. You can get on, I'm a big Google calendar guy. You can get on Google calendar right now, three clicks, and you can drag out your next deload week right? And during that deload week, treat it as like a a nutritional cleanse. Also by nutritional cleanse, I mean, we're only eating clean, non-processed, highly nutritious foods, no alcohol, only water. Maybe even think about cutting out coffee for that week. That is also proven that something that we should not be just drinking coffee every day, day on day, end on end, just never always, never stopping, always drinking it. Can you guys tell I had some coffee this morning? And and so just set that deload week up as a total deload is a total refresh cleanse and take it based on what decade you are living in right now. Okay. So that's a tangible thing. Second tangible thing that we can do right now, start meditating in the middle of the day, middle of the afternoon, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. is where I find my sweet spot, where I've had enough crap happen to me that day. I've started my processes of work. I've started to struggle. I've had some things go well and not go well. I've had some things to start thinking about. And by about 2 or 3 p.m., decision fatigue starts to settle in. I start to, you know, start to get a little frustrated with things, short tempered that's the time for me for meditation. Okay. Two or 3 PM. It's not right before bed. It's not right. If you're waiting till then, it's too late because now you're going to start sacrificing sleep while you're trying to sort of sort that shit out. And that's why a lot of people just stay up and they toss and turn all night because they're trying to sort this stuff out too late, right? 2 PM, 3 PM, meditate, sort it out. And your whole goal for the rest of the day is to just, you know, give hugs, give love, be positive, uh, you know, not invite a lot more stresses. Uh, try not to schedule stuff in the afternoon that is very stressful, right? Schedule your stuff in your morning for things that you have to think about and make a lot of decisions for meetings and things that you have to have. Get all that stuff done in the beginning half of the day. Later half of the day for me is all positivity. It's exercise. It's fun things. It's for the most part. Not, uh, granted, not every day is going to be that way but that allows me to set up my you know, meditative practices and things very well. For me, when I'm super busy schedule wise, my meditation just literally becomes driving in complete silence. It's not the best. I'm not going to say it is right, but it's definitely better than nothing right? Just allowing your thought processes to go while you drive. And you also have to not get road rage, right? Which for me is, is, is challenging, right? It's something where I try not to focus on it at all. And that's all also something that you can kind of control a little bit by, you know, not forcing yourself into situations where you're late, which I am also not great at. So there's right there just two things that you guys can kind of put into practice right away that are going to have a massive benefit on top of starting to study a little bit about your sleep cycles and understanding the length that is correct for you. Okay, last few things I've touched on quite a bit. These are things that are important, but they are also not going to, you know, absolutely change the game like the other things that we said did. And those are going to be the first one right now that is huge for people is screens before bed. And we're going to talk about this a few different ways because I am uh, actually a sort of a screens before bed person. Now I'm not a cell phone before bed, right? So cell phone for me pretty much gets shut off around 9 p.m. and or 8:30 around dinner time. I'll maybe check it, uh, depending on what my conversations have been like that day. But for the most part, it goes down. It doesn't pick back up for 12 hours. I usually pick it back up around nine o'clock the next day. Uh, I don't deal with anything. I don't check email. I don't check text messages. Definitely. I'm totally off social media. Can't recommend that enough. Honestly, once you get off of it, you realize how stupid it is. And once you start to, uh, separate yourself from that, uh, that, has I think a lot of benefits in terms of not stressing yourself before bed. Also, right? There's nothing, nothing, nothing in the world worse than checking your bed, checking your phone at like nine forty-five before you go to right before you go to bed. As you're walking down the hallway, and you check your email for some god foreseen reason, and you get some super negative, passive-aggressive email from somebody at nine forty p.m. And you read it, and you're just like, and then all you can do is just stew on that. It's the worst. So don't even do it to yourself. But, you know, secondly, uh, you know, we start thinking about, okay, we're going to watch some Netflix. We're going to watch a TV show. We're going to do these things. Uh, I've talked about that a little bit in the past, it's not optimal. Uh, it's not optimal if it's a stressor for you, right? Uh, there are some things that you can watch. I try to tell people don't watch documentaries that get you worked up. Don't watch news. Don't watch, um, you know, political debates. Don't watch those things right before you go to bed. Anything that can get you kind of worked up that can, that's real life. That's something that you can stress about. Don't watch right? Anything. Uh, and you guys have probably felt this before. I always tell people like maybe one of those scenarios, you guys have felt that before, but, um, I always tell people when you watch a show, that's like, like, there's like a weird scene. Like I always tell people the red wedding, right? If you guys watched game of Thrones, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just full spoil it for you because you shouldn't watch the whole series because the end sucks so bad anyway. But, uh, there's a scene called the red wedding, uh, which you can watch like reaction videos online for, uh, where basically there's like a surprise murder of uh the whole like main family in the show that you sort of see coming sort of not and um they end up killing uh the queen who is sort of pregnant uh with like the future of you know their family and so it's it's pretty dark right it's a it's a dark ending if i remember right This the show just like fades to black with no music and you're left in this like what the fuck just happened? Like this super, you feel dark, you feel like dirty. And it's kind of like the way I always felt when I watched like scary movies sometimes where you're just like, I don't feel good after watching that. And then like you try to go to bed and you're not in a great place and your mind's running because of the negativity, the fear, the dark feeling that you got, that stuff's not good to watch before bed, right? It's not good for you, but watching something creative and funny and, uh, you know, something like that is, is great, right? Something just for pure entertainment value. So long as it gets the creative part of your brains, uh, going it, you know, it's positive. Romantic comedies are great, right? Like something like a wedding crashers makes you kind of laugh and smile. And, you know, you know, it's not real and it's just for fun, that kind of stuff before bed. I honestly don't see a huge problem with it. And I think in a lot of times it can actually help you kind of, uh, decompress a little little bit throughout the day. So I know there's a big talk with no screens before bed, but I want to put an asterisk on that to make sure that it's no stressful screens before bed. And unfortunately, you know, if you guys don't know already, social media is a horribly negative, stressful place for people. The number one emotion associated with social media is anger and jealousy. And that's sort of the nature of it. That's why I think number one, we should get off of it. And number two, I think that that's why we definitely should not be looking at social media before we go to bed. Because all that happens is you see something from somebody and it triggers you and then down the path we go. So that screens before bed, right? Big asterisk there. Understand what I what we say to take away from that. Creative, funny, um, positive, those things are and, and not real, right? Those things are going to be good, right? Those are okay. Things that are you know, that stimulate brain activity. So like you're learning, you're taking online courses, you're watching documentaries, not great, right? Things that trigger you, uh, political, uh, social media, you know, emails, any of those kinds of things, not good, right? Anything, especially with email, it's like anything that leaves you feeling like there's unfinished tasks for the day, not good. Okay. Uh, Obviously before bed, it would be better to read something like a fiction book than a nonfiction book or something like, uh, you know, that doesn't leave you feeling like you have something to do, right? If you're reading like a business development book for me, I read a lot of business development books and leadership books that always leaves me feeling like I've got things to do. I've got to go do things. I've got this stuff that I got to knock off my task list. And Oh, I had this great idea for You know, this new system that I can put in place to help our coaches, you know, communicate better with our athletes. And I just sit there and I stew and I stew and I stew. Can't do it, right? You got to cut that stuff out. So it's just got to be, you know, more fiction stuff or loose uh, things. So that's a little bit about pre bed routine. Nutrition is a big one for people. And, you know, there are some studies on this, and this is gets back into optimal nutrition. I do not think if you are not eating the right things, if you are not, you know, dialed in with a solid nutrition plan, meal timing should not be something on your radar. Okay. And I will be very honest here. There are a lot of days where I think I ate last night at nine 30 or nine 45. I think I went to bed at 10. Okay. Right there. Like 15 minutes after I ate. it has no impact on my ability to sleep. Is it what's best for digestion scientifically? No. Okay. But I ate a very healthy meal and that for me is going to be what, that's, that's where I focus on. Again, if you guys listen to last podcast, we talk about simplifying, right? I'm not going to be able to, I will eat unhealthy more often than not. If I try to push myself to figure out a way to eat at seven o'clock every night, right? That's just not the way my schedule works. Not the way my body works. I, I push my eating. I like to eat breakfast around noon. I know it sounds weird, I like to eat breakfast around noon. I like to eat lunch around three. I like to eat dinner around nine. I like to work out in between three and nine. That works pretty well for me. I'm able to stay very consistent. I'm able to eat clean, highly nutritious foods. I don't have a problem with late night snacking, all these other things. Okay. But let's say that you are really trying to optimize things. Okay. And everything else is dialed in. let's say you get off work at three. okay, let's say you're a teacher right and you're done working around 3 330, right You maybe finish up some papers you get out of there by four, you hit the 4:30 workout, you're home by 5:30. Then in that case, absolutely 100% you should try to eat dinner by about 6:30 or 7. Okay give yourself a good two hours or so of digestion. That is optimal for you before you were to go to sleep. Now again, not optimal if you don't have a plan and you're going to stay up till 11 and you're going to late night snack because of that, right? If you're going to eat at seven, go to bed at nine or nine thirty. period end of discussion. If you're going to stay up until 11 or 1130 and late night snacking is an issue or a problem for you, then maybe think about pushing your dinner or splitting your dinner into two, into two halves. Okay. And this is sort of my hack for breakfast also, right? If you get hungry in between breakfast and lunch, just make a breakfast. That's like one egg bigger and split it into two, right? Bring it in Tupperware, finish the first half. When you're at home, bring the second half into work with you and finish it on your way or something like that. So that is eating. And then the two last ones are more environmental. Okay. And as much as I love Maria absolutely to death, uh, she refuses to allow me to vampire black out our bedroom, which is infuriating to me. I like to sleep in 100% pitch black. I want to not be able to see my hand one inch from my face. That's what I want. It's optimal, right? Uh, I sleep like notably better when I do that. Now I've adopted a sleep mask, which I was doing well with until either one of the dogs ripped it up or, uh, or just tossing and turning and ended up ripping it up. So it's ripped up right now and I'm yet to order my new one from Amazon. I also think that the technology could be improved. Uh, it's not the most, they're not the most comfortable things in the world, even the highest Amazon rated one, but, uh, a sleep mask is a good way. If you guys are not going to be able to change your environment, right? If you and your spouse are not on the same page and your spouse is way more concerned with what your, you know, bedroom looks like than they are, what the functionality of the bedroom is, uh, then you guys are going to probably need to adopt a sleep mask and dedicate yourself to that. Uh, Blackout sleep stuff uh, is proven to make a pretty big difference just as much as the next one, which is temperature, right? I am a believer of somewhere around 60 to 63 degrees is optimal right when you first get in the sheets and you first walk in your bedroom it's a bit shocking sometimes right it's like holy crap it is so cold in here and you get under the covers and you you are like you are really cold uh but anatomically what our body does to react to that and stuff. And the the way that helps you uh, fall asleep is significantly better than the alternative, right? Too hot is a significant issue. When we start thinking about deep sleep, it does not promote it. So you cannot operate too hot. And I know I'm going to speak mostly to the women here because you are the main culprits of enjoying heat. Uh, you're disassociating your comfort immediately when you get into bed with what is optimal for you when you sleep, right? And so the shock, the, the lack of comfort, again, this goes back to everything we talk about all the time, right? Which is, you know, we think about the short-term comfort versus the long-term gain, right? This is what we talk about everything in life. The best success is always focusing on the thing that develops the best long-term gain, Not the best short term comfort. Okay. And in sleep's case, it is colder, right? Dealing with that little bit of discomfort, that little initial, like the sheets are cold, the pillow's cold. You get in and it's like, oh, I don't, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. Snuggle me, do something. I need more blankets. I need more pillows. We need a space heater. We need a warmer. We need this. We need that. Uh, That little discomfort even though, you know, once you fall asleep and your body warms itself up and uh, the covers and the blankets and the dogs surround you and so on, you know, you're going to be warm, right? Uh, It's better to uh, operate that way than it is to start with like a 75 degree room and uh, just, you know, have the sheets thrown off of me. And I'm like wearing nothing, no sheets. And I am just like sweating profusely all night and you don't sleep at all. And you guys have probably experienced both ends of that. So that is our final one. Um, I guess I guess technically there's you know no stimulants after you know two p.m. or one p.m. Caffeine has a half life of I think eight hours, um, which means that you know eight hours after you drink a cup of coffee. So if you have an afternoon cup of coffee, eight hours later you still have that caffeine in your system. And so that would be something that would be non optimal. I would definitely recommend away from that. Uh, I would opt for something like an afternoon caffeine free tea and something that has some good antioxidants and good health benefits, but not a lot of caffeine or no caffeine in it at all. Um, and I think that that pretty much covers the majority of, uh, sleep plagues and sleep, uh, habits. If you guys have any questions on this, uh, I love talking about it. I like asking questions and diagnosing what maybe people are dealing with and seeing if I can kind of help. Uh, I can point you in the direction of a couple of great books on it. One is sleep. The myth of eight hours by, uh, Nick little Hales. This one's actually kind of hard to find. Uh, super interesting though. He is a elite sports sleep coach. So he's been hired by like the Patriots, the uh, Boston Red Sox, uh, the All Blacks in New Zealand, and he's hired as like this sleep expert. And he's studied a bunch of different stuff. There's a there's a, a super bunch of different weird like information about how to optimize lineups and things like that based on whether it's a night game or a morning game and all these different things. Super interesting stuff. Uh, That one's pretty interesting. talks a lot about environment and talks a lot about optimization. There's also a couple of good Tim Ferriss podcasts on sleep that you can Google, but you know, my final piece with this and kind of the funniest part about it really is sleep, unlike nutrition and exercise, which in nutrition is one of those things where I think generally doing it very well is moderately enjoyable, right? It's, it's not the most enjoyable. It really isn't right. If, if like you were eating perfectly, you're probably not like having the most fun eating exercise is kind of similar too, um, as is something like a meditation, like, like stress, you know, help some of those things. They're not the most fun practices in the world. If you were to ask me, you know, Hey Jeff, would you rather be, um, you know, skydiving on a beach in, you know, Mexico or, you know, meditating in Ohio or, you know, doing a sled push workout in Georgia, like what would you rather do? It's like, well, yeah. Okay. However, sleep is something that I think everybody loves. It is universally loved. So, you know, I think, and I hope that you guys are interested in optimizing your sleep. And I think that the benefits of sleep better sleep and sleep management are really understated and something that you can start to find, uh, will benefit every aspect of your life. So hopefully that helps. And I hope something from this podcast helped. And if you guys know somebody who's struggling sleeping, we didn't talk about people who don't exercise. Oh my goodness. That, that one, if you weren't exercising and you aren't sleeping, you have no excuse start exercising like immediately. If you aren't exercising, just start exercising immediately. Like That should just be understated by talking about this podcast. But if you guys have somebody who is struggling with sleep, my hope is that something in this podcast is going to resonate with them. I know we ran a little bit long on this one, but hopefully you guys got some uh, informational tidbits and I hope you guys are having a fantastic week. I'm excited over the next couple of weeks to discuss some of our plans uh, for our new facility and some of my plans about uh, kind of what friendship is going to be like looking forward, what I think the future of health and fitness is going to be, um, some fun, you know, weeks and months, uh, you know, contests and things that we have some coming up, uh, that'll sort of, you know, replace the open a little bit and, um, you know, show progress and, and have some developmental stuff where people can, you know, push themselves for PRS, uh, during a couple times a year and some fun stuff that we have coming for friendship. So looking forward to that stuff, I'll probably unveil it on podcasts, send it out in an email and some of those different things. Also hope you guys have a great week. See ya.